So last night I uh, caught up with Wald and Ruth Ann Amberstone, who run the Reader Studio in Toronto. And, uh, you know, one of the great things about getting to run this podcast is I get the pleasure of having conversations with people who've been reading the cards for a long time. And it's such a delight to get to check in on what people think after 20, 30, 40, 50 years with the cards. And, you know, I think that one of the things that I, that I super value and I hope that people are really enjoying is this perspective of where people have been coming home for a long time. So sit back, check it out, and enjoy. I'm Andrew McGregor, and with each installation in this podcast, we're going to explore the world of spirituality, what it means to be alive, and how is it that we can bring our spiritual selves, tarot, meditation, religious or spiritual practices, into our daily lives. Please check out all of our episodes at thehermitslamp.com slash podcasts. Or you can search The Hermit's Lamp in podcasts on iTunes and download them all directly that way. So and just before the podcast starts, I want to mention that if you are looking to uh, deepen uh, your practice around reading the cards, uh, there is a growing uh, series of uh, recorded classes, uh, streaming videos, uh, take them on your own time uh, kind of courses uh, on the Tarot de Marseille, on the Toth deck, and a foundations class for people who are just looking to round out their practice. All of these classes include uh, some of the most amazing teachers uh, from all around the world, uh, and of course myself as well. Um, so if you're interested in taking some courses, uh, especially as the summer's rolling around, maybe you're going to find some time on your hand and want to play with the cards more, please uh, go to thehermitslamp.com. And just click on the learning tab to uh, check out all the courses as well as any live upcoming events that are on their way to you. Welcome to the next installment of the Hermit's Lamp podcast. I'm here with Wald and Ruth Ann Amberstone, who host the annual Reader's Studio in New York City and have been practicing tarot for quite a while here. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to you know discussing, uh, as, as we said in the uh, pre-recording time, life, the universe, and everything with them. But, you know, for people who, who aren't familiar with you guys yet, why don't you give us a quick introduction to who you are and, and where you've come from? Well, Ruthann made a motion to me to go first. <clears throat> so I think the first thing I should tell you is that between Ruthann and I, when we, when we each started Tarot, if we take our adventures with Tarot starting from the beginning for each of us, between the two of us, we have, I believe now we have over 100 years of actual combined practice. That's why I feel this way, huh? <laughs> <laughs> 100 true. years. 100 years or more, actually, a little bit more. Oh, my goodness. So it's really a big kind of thing. You know, when you say it that way, it says, whoa, how could that possibly be? But there you have it. Scary. scary. 100 years of time makes for a lot of experiences and a lot of thoughts and a lot of activity. And 
a lot of accomplishment if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. So we've been lucky enough to um, have enjoyed doing what we do for so long. We actually made a leap of faith back in the 90s to start the tarot school, leave our day jobs, and do what we do full-time. And the result has been spectacular. When we started, we started with the understanding that we knew a little bit more tarot than the people around us, and that the people around us were hungry for a place to learn where it wasn't the same old beginner stuff time after time after time. Mm-hmm. As new teachers you know, would come into town, we live in New York City, so we've got a lot of people who would come to town and teach here. And every time they came to town, regardless of who it was, they would start at the beginning. They always taught beginner classes, and the people who were no longer quite beginners never got any further than that with those teachers. So we decided we would hold space for people to learn longer, deeper, more insistently, and more with more results. And that's what we did, and we discovered how little we knew in the process. Hmm. Our students were constantly pushing us to get better and better because they learned fast, and we couldn't teach them the same old stuff. So we endlessly had to move forward and move ahead of them. We always had to stay at least one, if not two, steps ahead of everybody else. The result was that over 20-something years, we've done a hell of a lot of work. We've learned things we never even guessed at the time. Mm-hmm. And without that stimulus of continuously being pushed by people who are just as good as we were, just a hair less experienced, we got to be way better than we are. And that continues to this day. Yeah, it's it's wonderful when um, you know when people have the opportunity. The more the more people make the opportunity, even for themselves, to to teach to share. You know, I mean, I I feel like you know I've been I've been with working with the cards for just shy of thirty years now, but you know, in the last twelve has been my sort of full time working as a reader situation and teaching and so on. And you know, every reading I do, I learn something. Every question someone sitting across from me asks me pushes me in a different direction, you know. And, and like you say, whenever I whenever I teach, the questions that come from people are, are so helpful in terms of my own growth of understanding. It's just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and part of it also is when you're doing it for a long time, you're always looking for things that are new and interesting to you as a teacher. You know, it's like, oh, I had this insight. Let's make a class about that, you know? Mm-hmm. And those are the really fun ones. We started doing a new format uh, about a year and a half ago. For um, close to 20 years, we had been teaching weekly classes where we would go through the deck in over the course of a year or so. And we'd start at the beginning with the fool, and we'd you know, alternate with majors and minors, and we'd have technique classes, which wouldn't be necessarily card study. But the co- the concentration was always on card study and reading practice. And after a very long time of doing that, we decided that we were going to change our format. And we are now doing what we call tarot salons, which mm-hmm. are more informal, we're not doing card study per se. That doesn't mean that we won't talk about the cards and we won't interject things that we know about it. But it's more conversational, technique-oriented, and every week is different. And so it's 
opens up possibilities for us as teachers to have those like flashes of insight and say, oh, that's really cool, or we'll see something on TV and, and it'll be, hey, you know, we can make a class around that. And that's been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Kind of a challenge, too. You know, we do them every Monday. So we give ourselves a one-day break. On Tuesday, we don't think about it. <laughs> come, come Wednesday, the question of, what are we going to teach next week? Got a class figured out? Right. And if we haven't figured one out by Thursday, it's panic time, you know? Right. And here right. it is Wednesday, and we haven't had that conversation yet. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. So. Well, that's awesome. Well, yeah. Ruthann is, um, has been trying. Actually, quite a few people have been prevailing upon me for years. To learn something about the computer, I've been a reluctant learner, and I have, you know, all kinds of excuses and reasons and whatever that I justified my lack of enthusiasm for it with. But recently, I got involved, and I, you know, just you might have mentioned I got on Facebook uh, not too long ago. And my particular pleasure in Facebook is to engage people in conversations about things that are not normally taught, not normally talked about, mm-hmm. not normally thought of. And um, that's just my personal predilection is what I enjoy. So I do it. And luckily, there's a few people out there who find it interesting, and so we have conversations. But when we were talking before the show, you had indicated that um, you were interested in the idea of answers to the questions of life, the universe, and everything, which is very funny because, of course, nobody's ever figured any of that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, there was a, uh, a little bit ago when I did a couple of posts and was looking for responses. I mean, I was enjoying the responses. But it always happened, inevitably, that I would mean one thing and people would undertake to say something about something completely different. They read or saw something different than what I was saying. Mm. And I didn't make a fuss over it. I didn't try to correct them because everybody's perception is useful and it led to interesting places. But I did see that it's very difficult for somebody to read something or even perhaps to hear it and understand what the person was talking about. Mm-hmm. They have their, people have their own ideas. They see things or hear things through the filter of their own personalities and their own perceptions, and they don't really necessarily see or hear what is actually being put out in front of them. I don't know. Have you ever had that experience, or am I alone in that? On Facebook, uh, often. In in conversation, certainly, you know, with clients, definitely. It's something that I'm, you know, I, I've cultivated a, a sort of feedback process that I that I often do with people, you know, because I, I sometimes I look at I look at them or I listen to the words that come back from what I've said to them, and I'm mm-hmm. like, huh, I think they missed something that I was saying there. <laughs> let's go back. Let's go. Let's circle back. You know. You know, and like, uh, well, if you don't circle back, if you try, if you just, you know, have to move forward, then you have to leave whatever was misunderstood as misunderstood. There's nothing much you can do about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so depends on that, but, depends on the depends on the issue, right? It, well, it does. It depends on how concerned you are to make people understand what you're trying to say. If it's really important to you that they understand you, you'll go back and try to fix it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if it's in the context of a reading and you're trying to get something across, you want to do it as clearly as possible. If it's a more informal conversation, it's going to, the rules will be a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. On but, Facebook, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm plenty happy to treat all my utterances as, uh, 
open to poetic interpretation and, you know, we'll just allow the, uh, the surrealists their due and it'll be what it is. It's true. It's very funny. You strike sparks from people and you never know what's going to come out. But the reason I mentioned that is because it occurred to me when I was reading over some of the responses, I thought to myself, you know, the people who are responsible for the majority of our understandings of the world, the people who have been the prophets and the teachers and the, the hierophants over the, the centuries, the ones that we all know, the few names that have been responsible for the religions and the spiritualities and stuff that we model ourselves on, generally speaking, I bet you, I would bet you anything that if they were here, they would say, no, guys, you got it all wrong. You didn't hear me right. No doubt. I bet you. Mm-hmm. And I bet you that we, as a group, as a, you know, as a race, take what we hear, make of it what we want, create structures around what, we've, what we have figured out for ourselves, regardless of what anybody else has said, and then we, call it, then we, we ascribe it to the original teacher, mm-hmm. who, didn't anything, who probably didn't say anything like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's and a whole... Leads, so go ahead. That leads you to wonder, you know, how much of what we understand and what we believe is actually anything more than a projection of our own stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, there's, uh, uh, there's all sorts of great stuff going on in, like, brain science and cognitive understanding these days. And there's a podcast, which I'm quite fond of, called You Are Not, Ver- you Are Not That Smart. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the guy is, um, you know, he's basically, he's written books on cognitive issues and, uh, and, and brain understandings and stuff. And, um, you know, like not, not only, not only does our perception suffer from, um, you know, expectation biases and, you know, all sorts of many things that, you know, are, are obvious to, to people who study psychology or who listen to other people. But there was one person on recently where they were talking about um, memory and, and, you know, they're, they're going back and forth about how faulty memory is and how memory very easily gets constructed. And this person had done all these um, uh, studies and, and tests with, um, you know, with people where they had convinced them that they had committed a violent crime that they had not committed. Right. Just yeah. using just using not not harsh interrogation techniques, but just sort of standard, uh, you know, uh, interrogation techniques and just asking people the questions and whatever and asking them in ways that formulates these things. And so after they talked about this for a little while, um, he said to her, so how much of our memories is are false? And the, the person didn't even pause a beat. And they came back with 100 percent. Because uh-huh. every single time you think about something, you are um, you are reshaping that memory, you know. And, and she she sort of went on to say that memories are more like daydreaming with a focus than they are mm-hmm. like recalling something, you know. And well, let me ask you then: mm-hmm. if that is true of individuals, what can you say about the writing of history? Yeah, absolutely, right. You know. So therefore, you would following that line of reasoning. There is no such thing as history. History is simply an endless interpretation and reinterpretation through different people's memories, understandings, interpretations of texts, and you know points of view. And it depends in large measure on the temper of the times and what's what's politically correct and what's acceptable, and who who the winner was and who the loser was in any given conflict and all that kind of thing. So that if there is such a thing as an objective truth, I'd never be able to mm-hmm. find it. 
maybe there's no such thing as an objective truth. In which case, what are you doing with a tarot reading? Well, trying to be helpful, right? How do you go about doing that? How do you know I? What be, yeah, what, what would tell you when you're being helpful? What would being helpful be? Well, being helpful will depend on the person sitting in front of me, you know. Uh Um, Being helpful to me is an assessment of uh, where that person is at based on what I I perceive as well as what they say as well as whatever I receive from my spirits. And, you know, and and then it becomes a question of uh, exploring the the narrative and the story that they're living and adjusting and tweaking that to ways that uh, support their empowerment and their capacity to be aware and try and shed their lack of empowerment and their uh, desire not to look at what they might know to be true, where true is in Mm -hmm. quotes, of course. Well, that's a very laudable ambition. How good are you at it? Well, I don't know, you know. <laughs> that's, always, that's always the question, right? <laughs> well, usually I think a, a good um, benchmark for that kind of thing is whether a person feels better when they leave than when they came in. Mm-hmm. And that's something you can usually tell. I mean, not always. Yeah. And I have, but... the, I have the good fortune to have um, quite a number of long-standing clients and, you know, most a good chunk of people who come to see me come back to see me again. And so mm-hmm. the the other benchmark that I that I loosely keep track of is it's great that they feel good when they leave and it's even better when they come back and they've changed the thing that they wanted to change. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well what normally as far as I understand it, there's such a thing as something you could call normal. There is a set of parameters that are generally acceptable. Mm-hmm. And as long as you stay within those parameters, uh, if the person sitting across from you lives within those parameters and you deal in those parameters, then you can have a good conversation and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my particular pleasure is in shifting the parameters. Okay. And that means that I'm usually taking people out of their comfort zone. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) And I see a human being as being a very different creature than what most people see, I think. Certainly the kinds of things that I see are not contained within the framework of the boundaries of neuroscience or physiology or anatomy Mm -hmm. or uh, psychology or, for that matter, philosophy. There's something else, and that's my main concern. These days it's my main concern and since I've gotten as old as I've gotten, I allow myself the luxury of doing what I want to do. And and is there is there a, a a term or how do you how do you refer to this? Is there or is it just straight being? Well, if I were going to use a term for what I'm concerned with, the lower le- the lowest level of that is what I consider to be <clears throat> a heightened Mm self-awareness, which is usually conceived of in non-ordinary terms. The parameters for for awareness are different the way I do it and the way I conceive it and the way I work with it than I have seen anywhere else. 
and permits for possibilities that I don't think most people would consider possible. Nor would, if they even if they considered it possible, would they have any idea of how to go there. Mm. And even if they could go there, they might not want to. Right. I mean, do you, and let me ask you if you would feel in the mood. Have you ever had the inclination, actually, physically, to go and climb Mount Everest? Yes. Cool. How many people do you know who have not got that urge? <laughs> uh, I, I only know two people who have that urge. So. Well, that's the thing. If yeah. you go to enough extremes, if you go to places which are uncomfortable, dangerous, difficult, painful, uh, or whatever, which nevertheless expand the possibilities of a life, um, the people who do it are relatively rare. Mm-hmm. Not really rare, but they're not that many. It's probably a minority in general. Yeah. And, um, and, you, and it, you can't actually con- convince a person to do that if either they're inclined in that direction or they're not. Mm-hmm. I think, anyway. It's been my experience. So I'm interested in that kind of thing. And I use tarot to a large extent to help me get there. I find it a very useful tool for entering unknown places, places I've never seen before, never thought of before, never heard of before, to do things that nobody would consider possible. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily either helpful, empowering, pleasing, or you know, comforting to do those things. Hmm. So when you uh, when you say that, are you speaking uh, magically? Are you speaking uh, in terms of your sense of the universe? Um, you know how how does that uh, relate to going down the street to get an espresso? Well, I'll give you an example. Uh, well, first of all, if you're going to use a term to describe something. Mm-hmm. The term itself is is going to be either either if it's something truly new or different. The term, if you're going to use a term that people are familiar with, the term itself begins to change as you use it. So let's say that we could conveniently or comfortably call what I do a little bit of magic. Mm-hmm. I think of it as magic or sorcery, but those words mean different things to different people. Sure. What I mean by it is not necessarily easy to speak to, to see, but it's certainly not science, it's certainly not history, it's certainly not sports. It's, you know, it's got its own category of things. Mm-hmm. So I do something along those lines. And then as far as what that would mean walking down the street to get a cup of coffee, I live on a very, very busy main, main road in the middle of New York City where the traffic is constant and heavy, where there's tons of people walking around, in each direction, every people going in every which direction, cars going in every which direction. On a summer day, the sunlight bounces off of cars, bounces off of windows, bounces off of the leaves of trees. The wind blows. There is a tremendous amount of energy flowing in my neighborhood. It's not a quiet neighborhood at all. And when I walk down the street, I kind of um, unfocus my eyes a little bit and extend my peripheral vision and get a feel for the flow of energy as it's coming at me and going around me. And very much the same way that you might feel if you walked into a stream or a river and let the water flow around you, you could feel the current beating up against your body, pushing you in one way or another. Not, you, you would know the difference between where it was going and where it wasn't going. And if something entered that stream that was unusual, if there was a stone thrown at you and plopped in the water nearby, or a big fish jumped out of the water and did something strange, or a raft or a log came down the stream unexpectedly and bumped into you, 
anything that disturbed the flow of the natural energy would be immediately visible. And it would be possible to see or understand or feel the nature of that, <clears throat> of that location, that juncture of time and space, as a particular specific flow of energy which changes periodically as you move to, to different locations. And you can tell when that energy is upset. You can tell when it's flowing smoothly. And although I've never personally been in a, in a situation where, you know, people were going to do something nasty, as, you know, happens often enough at airports and other places, I bet you that that kind of perception would allow you to see it coming. Mm-hmm. And it's only one thing out of many, and it, and it arises from a certain understanding of tarot. But that's an example, just a small example of what happens on the way to the store to buy coffee. That's wonderful. Yeah, I um, I I often experience. Uh, you know, I couldn't say whether it's the same or not, but sort of this um, interaction with the world around me that that sounds similar to what you're talking about. You know, this sort of awareness of the fu- you know, like like you unfocus your eyes and you also unfocus or I unfocus the sense of the limits of where my personness is and extends everywhere and then you can feel what's moving and going on what's happening you know and uh yeah and the thing that i find fascinating is um much like stepping into a tarot reading where where we open ourselves up to that magical or synchronous energy in in time and space things that come through during that time can be uh can be equally as uh, profound as drawing a card Sure. Have you ever <clears throat> worked with the image of a card as an actual living landscape? Mm-hmm. As you know, if you were to um, enter a landscape in a, in a fairly normal shamanic way, and just close your eyes and you know see the landscape in front of you as though you were looking through a doorway, and then step through the doorway and into the landscape, and find yourself in the landscape of a card with all five of your senses, seeing, hearing, feeling, touching smelling, tasting, and not only that, but with your heart and your mind as well. And if you were to explore that landscape, or even just experience it briefly, you would have a sense of the difference in the flow of energy between one card and another. Mm -hmm. Want to know what a card is about? Go in and find out. Mm -hmm. Don't ask somebody what the book meaning is. Mm -hmm. I'm not that the book meaning doesn't do some good, because those book meanings are based on something. Yeah. But there's another whole realm of experience which is capable of being developed to a tremendous extent. Yeah, I um when I was younger I spent a lot of time uh in in western mystery tradition schools and things like that. And uh you know, definitely that sort of process of projecting into the cards is can be so wonderful and revealing, you know, and uh mm-hmm. into the cards, into sigils, into, you know, Things, things that are gateways to other places and energies. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's utterly fascinating. Well, all of this is predicated on the idea <clears throat> that a human being is capable of many things. Mm-hmm. And the, some of the things that a human being is capable of have been developed by people in all sorts of disciplines, but are not readily available as experiences to the general public. So, for example, everybody has heard of, knows about yoga, and yoga is understood in many places to be a simple exercise set. Mm-hmm. 
But, of course, in its original place, it was quite a different story than that. Yoga literally means union. And within, was in the, the inclination of yoga is eventually to unify yourself with the, with, the, with the primary energies of the universe, to become literally one with everything, to find God, if you want, to find enlightenment or liberation. And on the road to that, a yogi will experience things, literally experience them, not just talk about them or think about them or write about them, but actually experience things that a person otherwise would not have a, even have a clue existed. Mm-hmm. It literally is beyond the pale of imagination what happens when you follow the discipline of yoga the way a yogi would follow it. The same thing happens in the martial arts. Once you pass a certain point and you're no longer interested in killing people with your hands and your feet, the martial arts become a discipline, a spiritual discipline that allows you to do things, to be things, to see things and experience things that are literally beyond the ability of a normal person to even to even imagine exist. Mm-hmm. When I... Um... When I was relatively new to reading for other people, I uh, I read for this woman that I met at my Tai Chi class, and uh, she was, you know, a yogi in the sense that you're talking about, right? You know, she, mm-hmm. you know, she was um, devoted to it as a as a, a path for her life, and you know, this point of connection, and. Uh, you know, so so I'm sitting and I'm reading for him. You know, the reading gets to the end, and I'm like, you know, so they, that's what I see. Da, 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 you know, wrapping it up, whatever. And all of a sudden, she starts to like get these kind of spasms, right? And she uh, and she kind of looks at me. and She goes, "Whatever happens next, obviously it's going to be okay because it's happening with you here. So just go with it." And I was like, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. are you having a, like, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, is this person having a seizure is, you know, whatever. Right. And, um, so, you know, this, this goes on for like maybe 30 seconds. It's sort of like transitional space. And then all of a sudden I become very, very aware that she is no longer there, at least in any sense that, that I was previously aware of it. And this other energy was there instead and uh and that other energy or that other being um spoke to me told me something that i had to tell her and then told me a whole lot of things about me and then left and it was it was the most fa- one of the most fascinating experiences to sort of have that you know that that happen and you know when she came back we talked about it and she she basically was you know described it as as her shakti as her you know her Mm-hmm. Like her higher, her guardian angel, you know, mm-hmm. to use a phrase people might be more accustomed to. And, uh, you know, it's just fascinating to to have had that experience and to sort of witness that as, as one of these things that you say that uh, goes beyond what we expect, right? Well, there are stories, I think, that everyday life tells us. And those stories are the ones we live with. Mm-hmm. But they're stories that we are not normally told. Sometimes we experience things that we were not led to believe were possible. And I would bet you <clears throat> that a very sizable proportion of the human race has experienced something on the order of what you were just telling me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that individual experiences tend to, repl- to replicate each other. I bet that there are quite a large variety of individual experiences that step beyond the norm. But that happens often enough so that what we're saying now will not be all that strange to people. Mm-hmm. The only thing is, a question, when that happened to you, was it strong enough to make you want to follow up on it? 
Yeah, for sure. It's what uh, it? sorry. What did you do about it? Well, it was. Let's see. I'm trying to. I'm trying to place that memory in time. Or fabricate sure a place where it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'll fabricate. I'll fabricate a, a, a timeline, and we'll we'll just roll with it as if we're in dream time. Um, okay. You know that was uh, that was around the time that I was in my third degree when I was in the OTO, and uh, and I was debating what my future was within that tradition, uh, along with sort of studying Crowley and doing a lot of temple work and. You know, it really moved me and encouraged me to continue to dig in to the work that I was doing around connecting with, you know, with my guardian angel and, you know, working with, uh, especially at that time in my life, working with the, the Enochian magical systems and stuff like that. And, you know, it really, um, it, it gave me a taste of how far things could go. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, let's go. Let's go all the way. Let's keep going. So a version of Everest. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Spiritual Everest. Let's, let's dissolve the self and, uh, see what comes through, you know? So is that, is that an accurate memory? Can you remember what it felt like when you had that experience you described? Can you remember? Could you replicate it? Could you make it happen again? Do you know how? Do you know why? Do you know when? Do you know where? Do you know what brought it on? The the impulse to climb Everest or the... the no, it's the experience you had with the, with the therapist, with the Jungian. Sorry, I don't fall. Well, you were, to, you were describing the, the experience. He was doing a reading for someone. You were doing, yeah. 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 When you were doing that reading and, and, and you saw something that was out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Did you follow it up? Did you, if it was important to you, did you find the reason why it happened? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly why it happened because the because the spirit told me, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the the spirit told me that uh, the thing that was in my way was me and my uh, issues around being confident in my capacity to continue on the journey, and so I. Uh, I took it as a, a high five and a pat on the back and keep going, mm-hmm. keep going. You can make it, you know, yeah. so that, you know, whatever. At a certain point in the ascent where you look over at your, your climbing partners and they're like, let's go. We can do it. And you're like, yes, I wasn't sure for a moment, but yes, now I'm sure. Do you, I mean, it's really funny because I, I have, I have an unfortunate habit of turning an interview around. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ruthann, Ruthann points it out to me periodically. I end up asking all the questions. But it's, I just get, I get the biggest kick out of it. Mm-hmm. Do you mind? Is it, is, it, is it awkward? No, not at all. Oh, cool. This is, this is a conversation, not an interview. Okay, well, that's good. Because um, the things that I understand are possible, that I would want, interfere with something that is very or goes contrary to the energy of something that is very prevalent in my life I am a lover of comfort mm. I don't want to be upset I don't want to sweat I don't want to get you know nervous I don't like drama uh, generally speaking I like calm peace and quiet yeah and so I spend most of my time you know not doing very much that would you know describe my I couldn't describe what I do as very adventurous in the usual way mm. And the kinds of things I'm talking about would lead to a very, very powerful set 
of actual adventures with real risk and a lot of energy expended to make it happen. And I'm not inclined to spend a lot of energy, and I'm not inclined to take a lot of risk. Mm. So there's this natural conflict between a, an ambition to experience something closer to the totality of myself than I have available to me at the moment and my desire for comfort where I don't want to go anywhere or do anything. Mm. Give me a cup of coffee and a good novel, and I'm all set. So when I do, when I do the adventurous stuff, I have to gear myself up for it just exactly the way you might have to gather your gear together and your, your money together and your, your working you know, associates together to climb Mount Everest. You don't do that alone. Mm-hmm. And so I have to work at it to put together the resources that allow me to do things that are not in my comfort zone. But it's really always working against myself. It's a difficulty, and it makes, uh, makes the whole adventure much less uh, likely to be fru- fruitful. So it's a trouble. Yeah, interesting. I, don't you know, we don't we all have those troubles in one way or another? You know, I, I mean, don't, know. don't some people like to throw themselves out of a plane and pull a string and float to the ground? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, previous to that time was was my uh, physical plane adventuring time, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I was doing uh, full contact martial arts and. Uh-huh. I was doing downhill mountain bike and I was, you know, like this and that and whatever. And a, a bunch of people that I went with, I worked with were like, hey, we're going to go all jump out of a plane together. And I'm like, awesome. I'm in because I basically my attitude was I'm in for anything. And if it makes me afraid, then I will do it sooner than later. And, uh-huh. you know, and so I jumped out of the plane and, you know, my chute opened and I coasted to the ground and whatever. And I. I landed and I looked around at everyone else who was, you know, uh, you know, if you picture the most exuberant, oh my God, this was the best thing ever. People jumping around and yelling and hooting and hollering. And, and I kind of went, eh, that wasn't that exciting. And then on reflecting on that <laughs> later on, I was like, you know, this is, this is not good. This is, this is going to lead somewhere bad, you know? And so I, I then started to, to readjust. So, you know, I think that, I think that there there are these pieces that that work against that adventuring spirit in one way or another to um you know to sway us off the path into you know or or at least in my experience you know into realms that aren't relative to growth and progress mm-hmm. would you say that a cancer cell was doing the right thing by growing? Well, empowering from from what perspective right well as far as i understand it a cancer cell is essentially a cell that grows out of proportion to its to its purpose mm-hmm. sheer growth by itself is destructive yeah so the question is not necessarily growth although that seems to be a watchword of modern times mm. grow and empower mm-hmm. well what if growth is lopsided ill-advised inappropriate what if power were put in the hands of somebody who shouldn't be having it? Mm-hmm. Depends on what you mean by power, of course. What? Where are the limits? Are there? Is there such a thing as a sober access to power and growth as compared to an enthusiastic, all-out version of it? 
Well, I don't know. If we watch your uh, your elections that are going gearing up right now, I'd say no. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but let's yeah, we're all, we're all looking at that. With, with, yeah. Heaven help us all. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just one of those, uh, you know, if people really want power, maybe they're not the right people for it, right? Um, oh. But yeah. I, you but what, know, a, what about in a reading? And when you don't, what's the difference between power and empowerment? Well, for me, the difference between, uh, you know, what I am looking for is for the person to, um, to leave with a, a sense of agency. To, to to go out and f- see what they what seems like it's most likely to move their life towards where they want it to be and um, and and to sort of see how they can take actions to make that happen so to me um, that that is empowerment um, power you know power has to do you know I don't know we can debate it semantically but power to me would be more about uh, social status. Um, relationships, relationships to other people, you know, those kinds of things. Just out of curiosity, does each card have its own version of power? Sure. I think so. Each, each, each card has its own version of everything. So the question is, can you elicit the power of a card for a given client? And is the power of a card the same for the, the same regardless of the client you're talking to? Or do you have to modify it, mold it, switch tracks with it, make it more domesticated? You know, like if you're looking at the devil or the power, one of those cards that has a big evocative ability, something that makes people afraid, let's say, or in some cases makes them feel strong. Are those cards powerful the same way for everybody? Or does it depend on the person what kind of power the card yields? Well... Lately, you know, I, I mean, I, as you guys know, I run a store here in Toronto, right? So I get lots of people who just come in off the street and talk tarot with me, you know, and, and you know, not not random ways, but but from the point of view of my life, random ways, right? You know, they're like, mm-hmm. you know, I, t- what, what, tell me what this card means, you know, or something like that. You know, these are conversations that people have a lot, you know, and. Depending depending on the person and what they're asking and, and the context will you know will adjust my answer to some extent. But the real answer for me is that um, outside of uh, a, a specific context and placement and person and moment that is a now, you know that is the now. I don't really know what the cards mean. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. like if, if somebody wants to say, what does this card mean? And I'd be like, well, if I'm, if, if I'm in a reading and that card is the next card that I flip, I can guarantee that I will know what it means. Okay. But if we're going to look at it in a, in a big picture perspective, yeah, I mean, of course I can talk about it, but, but I don't really like to define cards in that way anymore. I don't find it interesting or, or inspired, you know? Yeah. So everything is a matter of context. Yeah. So the context will limit the power of the card and make it turn in one way or another. I think so. Yeah. Sort of like an like an electrical current. Yeah. If you if you, if you plug in a toaster, you get toast. Exactly. If you plug in a microwave, you get microwave. If you plug in you know an electric drill, you get a drill. Yeah. Power is the same, but the end but the end result is quite different. 
Yeah, it's uh, you know, you put it in the yoke and, and it works in a certain context, right? And if the ground mm-hmm. is frozen, then the plow doesn't work, you know. Right. But maybe it's maybe it clears your driveway for you, you know. When I think in terms of empowering somebody, mm-hmm. my understanding of it is to give them power. Okay. And not the power to be happy. Mm-hmm. That's of no concern of mine. But the power to do what they want. Then the question would become, what do you want? And as far as I can tell, what people want is normally speaking what they're taught to want. Hmm. You don't, if you don't know that something exists, you can scarcely want it. Mm-hmm. So my interest is in showing somebody what is possible and asking them essentially, is this something you would want? Want enough to actually do it? Hmm. And then it makes people nervous. Yeah. So they don't leave me feeling comfortable, happy, and empowered. <laughs> <laughs> if you need to be shaken up, give give Walt a call, and he will pretty give much, you a shaken, not so, stirred. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I have I have long term students, but what I do is teach. I don't read so much. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah, I have a, a new logo, but not a logo a tagline for you. Yeah. You know, it's a, um, I I give tower readings shaken not stirred. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I it. love it. That's very funny. So the the um, I've discovered that my talent is more for teaching in the sense of providing somebody with things to think about. Mm-hmm. Then it gives them a reading where I tell them what's going to happen or what they should do. I don't care what they should do. I don't care what's going to happen in the ordinary context. That's mm. the or- that's ordinary life. An ordinary life will do its ordinary things, regardless of whether I say anything about it or not. If you want that kind of thing, there's a lot of people to go to. And I have no interest in that at all. Mm-hmm. So therefore, I do what I do in the form of teaching rather than reading. And there, I have lots and lots of long-term people. But as far as you know, clients for readings are concerned, none. Mm. People who get readings from me don't come back. Right. It's true. Because they're shaken, <laughs> not stirred. That's right. <laughs> well, it's either either the uh, either the rocket is has made it to the moon, in which case, well, they're on the moon and they they don't need to come back, or uh-huh. well, they abandoned the rocket and you know have gone elsewhere. Yeah. So there there are you know all kinds of worlds, and the idea that there is one world, one objective universe that contains us all. Is probably so. I couldn't swear to it, but probably so. Mm-hmm. But while that is also while that is true, it is also true that everybody inhabits their own universe. Mm-hmm. Everybody inhabits their own universe and does with the with the one universe that contains us all different things. But <clears throat> if you live within the context of what everybody thinks of as the one world we're all part of, then that's all you've got. Mm-hmm. Everybody's agreed on. Yeah, well, and that's the that's part of the reading process, you know, because for me, I tend to um, tend to meet people where they're at, and then see how far mm-hmm. I can stretch them, you know. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, some people are, you know, they're 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 all about the you know the tangible, concrete something that needs to be dealt with, or you know, what have you, mm-hmm. and. 
you know, some people, you know, and other people are not, you know, and I, I personally, I find all of those levels of reading fascinating. You know, I really <laughs> enjoy, you know, it, it, maybe it's part of uh, sort of where I started when I stepped out into the world as a reader. I started mm-hmm. reading uh, at this store where the client base was like 80% Caribbean. And mm-hmm. so I, I spent a lot of time reading for um, people from the Caribbean and people from, um, you know, kind of like West Africa predominantly. And, yeah. you know, in, in a lot of those cultures, the, the process of reading is very direct and very pragmatic, you know, yes, and, but I, I started reading you know, as, as a student of the Western mystery traditions, you know? And so I'm like translating Kabbalah and being like, huh, how does the concept concept of the four worlds or the parts of the self relate to this reading? Because I was reading for them with Crowley's deck, you know, or Crowley Harris deck. And so, you know, for me, this sort of wide spectrum of possibilities is what's really fascinates me and inspires me to keep moving with, with studying the cards. Well, then apparently you're not likely anytime too soon to get bored. <laughs> nope. There are there are some people who have been at tarot long enough that they've exhausted whatever possibilities they originally found in it and find themselves bored. Hmm. I mean, there are people whose names are very well known in the community who have actually had to go off to Lenormand and other such things simply because hmm. tarot was no longer really in it. They've done what they're going to do with tarot and they didn't see any more to do. Hmm. It's it's kind of sad, but there it is. Well, I find I mean you know I've never I've never uh, gotten into Lenormand very much you know enough to enough to like play with it, but not not as a, a big point of inspiration. But you know I find I find divination in other systems interesting to me for sure. You know, mm-hmm. and I find that there are many concepts and ideas that um, that the the difference between you know, reading cards and, you know, whatever, throwing bones or, you know, other kinds of systems um, highlights areas where I can go back to the cards and build out further into the unknown, you know? Yeah. There was a person once who showed Rupan and me a way to read smoke. Okay. Which is a very different kind of thing. And when I realized that, I realized that you could read cracks in a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. You could read leaves on a tree. You could read clouds in the sky. You could read the energy of traffic. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and all of those things point to parts of a universe that are either parts we don't normally look at or think about, or they open doorways into universes that don't even exist here. Mm. So if you... Do you think... Do you think that if there are, in fact, worlds other than this one, and I don't even know how I would describe what a world other than this one would be, except that to inhabit it, you would have to be somewhat different. Hmm. All within the bounds of possibility of what you have as a human being. It's all in there. But it's like bits and pieces of DNA that never got activated. Well, I think there's a, a wide, there's a lot of possibility to experience, well, whether it's this world at levels that we don't understand or many people don't experience, or whether they are other realms that are, who knows, spiritual or 
you know, other. But, you know, mm-hmm. having having done a lot of astral work and other kinds of things like that over the years, you know, and, and doing mediumship and, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel like I, I, I always have like one ear in some other world as long, you know, as most of the time as I'm strolling around in this one. Maybe maybe more than just my ear, depending. Do you do you find yourself um, uh, sort of isolated in that uh, you know feeling or that you know experience, or have you found do you find yourself surrounded by people who have a similar inclination? Um, eh, you know, a bit of both depends on the day. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you know, they say that people draw to themselves, you know, the same kind of person as they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm not sure of that. You know, I mean, my my partner is very similar. You know, mm-hmm. so I mean, uh, you know, in my relationship, there's, you know, it's not uncommon to be like, huh, you feel like somebody's around or something's around that we need to tune into, and be like, yes, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll, <laughs> you know, just pause the TV show and you know go do whatever we're doing, you know, and then come back or not. So. You know that sense the, the that's around and easy for me, you know. And I've I've made a bunch of friends over the years that I have connections with and so on. But you know, many of them many of them are fairly scattered. So you know, it's not like uh, it's not like I, I have a, a commune of them that are accessible to me. You know, in my day to day life, that's why things like Reader Studio are so wonderful. You know, well, Reader Studio is really a place where. <clears throat> Every single stripe of style and, and understanding and skill are not only acceptable but valuable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a place where you just naturally feel at home. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it sort of happened slowly. It was an evolutionary kind of thing. But little bit by little bit, it grew, and the, the energy grew, and the people began to expect that when they showed up at the hotel where the reader studio takes place, that all of a sudden all bets were off. They left the normal world at the door. Mm-hmm. And they entered a place that was just for them. And all of a sudden it was as though somebody took off a bunch of shackles or chains from around their legs and they were able to move freely. Mm-hmm. And they also contributed a tremendous amount. The, the general population of the reader studio you know, attendees have created more than half of what currently goes on at Reader Studio now. What Ruth Ann and I had originally described or figured out or tried to do worked pretty well. And then people would say, well, what, can we do this? Wouldn't this be a great idea? And we would say, yeah, yeah, go do that. And then they would do it. And they would find that they were very responsible. They would do what they intended to do really, really well. And then it became a tradition, and people began to expect that these things would happen every, every year at Reader Studio. And every year there was something new, something new, something new, something new. And the, the thing got so rich that we can't even figure out how we're still managing to find room in the schedule for new things, but we do. Well, yeah, you just basically give up sleeping, right? That's That, that was my experience of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, well, you're into extreme sports, so you right, exactly. fit right in there, right? Mm-hmm. Well, do you want, do you want to, to uh, keep it secret what your connection with Reader Studio is going to be? No, that's great. I can. I, I'm happy to talk about it. Well, you know, you're you're going to be the beneficiary of. Uh, let me see. Who was it? It was Kareem Kenner. Kenner. Kareem Kenner. A long time ago, maybe ten years ago or more, decided that she wanted company at breakfast. Mm-hmm. 
And she said, well, what happened? Could you just let people know that, you know, we could get together at breakfast and just kind of have a talk? You know, we just kind of discuss some idea or whatever, and we can all just sit around and have breakfast and have a conversation because I'm kind of lonely sitting here by, at breakfast all by myself. Right. She figured, oh, half a dozen people would show up. I think like 30 people showed That's up. That's right. There were more people than the restaurant could handle. <laughs> so the breakfast round table was born. And from that time on, we have had one on one on Friday, no, one on Saturday and one on Sunday, one breakfast round table on Saturday and one on Sunday, where everybody comes, everybody who wants to eat breakfast together and talk about stuff gets together in one room. And uh, this last time we had a sound system and everything. And so it was very easy to hear. And uh, we would have a person lead a discussion, not talk or teach, but just lead a discussion, open up an interesting subject for talk. And then the people would eat their breakfast and have a lovely time talking about fascinating subjects. And we would pick or offer or suggest to individual people that we thought were, were good people to do it that they might want to lead a breakfast roundtable. And that's become a kind of a plum. And everybody likes to do it. Or at least I shouldn't say everybody, but so far everybody we've asked is like to do it. Uh-huh. And it's kind, of, it's kind of an adventure because you don't know where it's going. And you're going to be doing that this coming year. Mm-hmm. Why? How come you decided to do it? Well, you know, I mean, number one, because you guys asked. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, it's the, the, the topic that, I, that I, I'm going to talk about, you know, which is um, the, the working title is uh, Trickery, Lying, and Shenanigans, Bringing the Trickster into the Reading Process. You know, it's, it's a piece of the work that I do with people that I've been looking for a venue to uh, share and, and, and talk with people a bit more. And, you know, when, when this came up, I was like, aha, that is where it needs to be. Because I think that, uh, you know, the people who, people that, many of the people that I met there would enjoy it and have something to offer, um, you know, in, in return as well as part of that conversational process, you know? So, yeah. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a rare occasion when uh, you can have a, a really pleasant, uh, comfortable, uh, non-competitive and non-combative, you know, conversation with 80 or 90 people in the same room at the same time about some really interesting matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Now, where else can you do that? Not, uh, not on Facebook, that's for sure. <laughs> no, not on Facebook, that's for sure. <laughs> so we have our own, social, our own social media in terms of actual flesh and blood people. Mm-hmm. Which is, of course, one of the things about the conferences in general. There's a whole bunch of them now, and they all serve the purpose of bringing the tribe together and mm-hmm. giving people the pleasure of pressing the flesh. It's actually really nice to see somebody in person. Yep. And, you know, I mean, the other thing that I have found is not not necessarily, like, specifically through the workshops or in, in ways that you could maybe put a finger on, but... Going going to workshops, number one, makes me appreciate other people a lot more. Um, but it also helps me understand where I'm at and what my work is, which is also really, really helpful, you know, to see the mm-hmm. ways. Because it's easy to slide into this sort of sense of, well, the way I am is the way everybody is. And, you know, of course, that's not true. But in the absence of engaging other people, and, and, you know, or having other people engage with you in a way that highlights it, it can be easy to sort of, you know, to sort of see it as, as a whole lot of sameness when the the welcoming of the difference and the, the sharing and the celebrating of the difference 
really sort of highlights and fuels it has fueled a lot of the stuff I've been doing since then so yeah it, it actually is kind of interesting that not only do you get to hear you know a number of first rate presentations on you know practical technique and stuff but you're sitting at a table with nine other people and then we work with uh, with round with round tables where 10 people sit at each table and in general although they, everybody's in the in the same ballroom at the same time you tend to get you know kind of cozy with the people you're sitting with Mm-hmm. And then basically working with a little community of 10 in the midst of a community of 200 while being taught by a group of three over a period of days. Mm-hmm. And the net result of all that swirling energy is to produce a soup in, or, or a cauldron in which you get dyed a different color each time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the other side of it, too, is, you know, for people who are considering going, you know, um, Go. Like number one, go. Don't consider. Go. Um, but you know, it's it's also everybody is so utterly welcoming. You know, every time I walked into the the dining room, you know, and uh, you know, I'd be like, oh, I don't know anybody. I don't know anybody here. Maybe you know, or whatever. And I just look around, and you know, they'd see the badge and be like, hey, come join us. You know, or somebody had had a brief chat with, and then would sit and have a meal. And you know, every, everybody is so welcoming and friendly. It's really wonderful. It really is. There was a time. Um, early on in Reader Studio when there was a little bit of concern about that, whether people would be welcome or not. But it turned out to be so much like that that that, that fear was erased almost immediately. And for those people who are brand new who have never been you know, to a Reader Studio before, one of the things that was suggested by, by somebody down the line, in fact, wasn't Karina suggested that too, the, the ambassador? No, I think so, yeah. Yeah, boy, Karina was responsible for a lot. Uh, at one point, she suggested, Queen Kenner suggested, that maybe we could have a little group of ambassadors whose job it was to get in touch with the people who were going to be at the conference for the first time. We would know that, of course, when they registered, and we would you know, assign uh, an ambassador to get in touch with those people before they even came to the event and welcome them and tell them what they needed to know and answer their questions and make themselves available when, the, when they actually arrived so that you know, they would, they would have somebody that they knew and could talk to and could show them the ropes. And that turned out to be an extremely useful and valuable thing so that even if you're completely new and even if you literally don't know a soul, within a few minutes of arriving and an ambassador takes you under their wing, you have somebody to talk to and you get introduced to other people who are in a similar circumstance. And a little bit by little bit, within a couple of hours of arriving, you find yourself blending into, this, into the whole, you know, uh, energy of the time. And those ambassadors have made a great deal of difference, and they've been institutionalized. Those ambassadors are now a big part of what we do. Yeah. It's a formal part of Reader Studio experience. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of thing, you know, the, the, the breakfast roundtable, the, the, um, the meditation room events. The study groups. The study groups. All of those things were suggested by other people. Yeah, it's great. The, uh, the, the incubators. By the way, did you like the incubators at the end of the conference? I did. They're really, really interesting. I won't even try to explain what that is at the moment because that takes up too much time. But there's all kinds of things that are going on either sequentially or simultaneously, not to mention the simple fun of sitting at the bar and, and hanging out with people over a drink. So this well, is Well, you know, on. seeing, uh, seeing uh, James attack Dan Pelletier with a uh, puppet of himself was uh, especially <laughs> yeah. a highlight for me this year. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, a few years ago, 
uh, Ciro Marchetti was a big, you know, uh, presence at the event, even though he was a self-admittedly, you know, uh, newbie at, at tarot. He didn't know that much about tarot, but he's an extraordinary designer and designed a number of decks that were very, mm-hmm. you know, big sellers. So he came to the event, and it just happened that Ciro was a very sociable sort. So at the end of the day, you know, when people were gathering in the bar and having drinks and hanging out and just talking and stuff, Chiro began to tell body jokes, and then everybody chimed in, and one body joke followed another, and people were cracking up. And there were a number of people who were responsible for telling those jokes, and we know we know who they are. <laughs> so they have, they hold court every every year, and they, and the kind of that process repeats itself. So it's not all serious. Yeah. Do you, do you do you know that I, it seems to me I'm looking at the clock here and I think we are we not coming more or less to the end of things. We are we are coming to the point at which we need to wrap up so you can get on to what you're doing next. Yeah. By the way, I, I I've been hogging and monopolizing the time here completely because that's what I do. I talk too much. Yep. And Ruthann, I was going to ask <laughs> Ruthann what she thinks of all this stuff that, that I that I say that's important to me. She has a she's a realist as compared as compared to me. Uh-huh. She pays attention to the details. What's right in front of her, you know? And I I'm, I have the big picture. The picture that I look at is so big that nobody can even see it. So Ruth Ann brings me back to earth and nudges me in the shoulder to let me know that I'm talking too much. Well, so what, can you can you that. ground us and 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 wrap us up, Ruth Ann? What what do you think of all this? <laughs> In two minutes or well, less. Well, it's all—it's all very fascinating. What can I say? I'm—I'm um, I'm much better at answering direct questions that don't involve, like, what do you think of life, the universe, and everything in 25 <laughs> words or less. Not my strong point. <laughs> but what happens is that Ruth Ann makes everything we do real. Mm. If it weren't for Ruth Ann, none, none of this would ever see the light of day. Now, you know, pretty much. Do you have any idea? Andrew, I don't know how much how how extensive um, your business practices are, but do you have any idea how much it takes to do all the details of running a business these days? Well, a fair amount, you know. I mean, I, I run the store here in town, and uh, I've run never never as big as what you guys are doing, but uh, I've run weekends weekend long events for groups of sixty. So you know, I have mm-hmm. a sense. So anyway, Ruthann is the one who handles, you know, the database stuff and all the communications mm-hmm. on email, all of the all of the preparations for Reader Studio, all the design, all the websites, mm-hmm. all the everything. <laughs> but awesome. I love it; it's my baby. And you know, each each conference takes about a year and a half to yeah. do. So we're already talking about RS seventeen, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, 16 is underway. The li- the website has recently launched. I've got some tweaking to do, uh, which will come over the next couple of months. But uh, readerstudio.com is up and running for those who are interested in the conference. And uh, taroschool.com is our main site, which, you know, talk- talks about other things that Wald and I do during the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll pop notes for that into the uh, to the post, and uh, and also I will direct people to your Facebook pages because uh, you guys are there now. Yes. Oh yes, all the fun is happening over at Wald's pages. Oh, Reader <laughs> Studio also has a, a group page, which mm-hmm. uh, 
Elle Humphrey set up, which was really wonderful of her to do. And that that's become a, a really great gathering place uh, for people to share things and also people who are just curious. It's public, so you can go take a look at it and... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's no no commitment to see what's going on, and if you feel like participating, then it's easy enough to just put in a request to join. So, and as long as a person has a real profile and a sort of mild interest in tarot, then we're happy to have them. It's just sometimes we get we get requests from like, okay, this is not a real person. <laughs> it's and like my Twitter. They account. obviously. <laughs> They have some kind of odd agenda, and I think maybe not. For sure. <laughs> well, thank but you both. For, oh, thank you both for making the time to be on here tonight. I really appreciate it. It's been really fun to get to hang out and chat with you guys. It's been a great deal of a pleasure for us. Same here. Thank you so much for the invitation, Andrew. You turned out to be an extremely interesting person. We found out more about you than we found out about us. I think <laughs> that's it. I can, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna have to rename this one when I put it up now. You know, Wald, Wald and Ruth Ann interview Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, Wald mostly interviewed you, yeah. but so uh, but as a moon hermit, I was very happy to be invited to uh, the hermit's lamp. It's a symbol dear to my heart. So. Nice. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to thank you for listening, as always. And, uh, you know, if there's uh, someone you'd like to see or if you have feedback or questions around uh, what was going on here, then uh, please do check it out. Uh, I also want to uh, mention that uh, coming up in the fall of 2015, I'll be uh, putting together a course on tarot and magic or magic for tarot readers, uh, which will be online, uh, as well as uh, art and uh, some other lovely teachers. Uh, will be uh, helping me run a course on tarot and psychology, which will roll out in uh, the end of January 2016. Um, so if those things catch your eye and you're looking to learn more, then uh, you know please do uh, come and check them out. And uh, certainly there are already a bunch of great classes up on my website at thehermitslamp.com uh, of things that I've already put on. Thanks for listening. Drop me a line. Let me know what you're up to. I'm always curious to hear. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.